The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 148. One day, I shall come back. And that's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position heroes. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 10th Doctor episode, Midnight. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. And retweet the show when you find it on Twitter, where we post it at SQPN. And leave us comments there. We'd, we'd love to have uh, your response to what we say about the show. And we enjoy getting into conversations with listeners online. So uh, please uh, please do that on social media for us. We'd really appreciate it. So Midnight is one of the those three shows, Jimmy, that you mentioned that uh, you, you like to offer people as a way to get into new Who as a, as a good starting yeah. point. Really, there's four. The other, the other four, the other three are Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead, the two-parter, and then also Blink, the introduction of the Weeping Angels. But okay. this one, Midnight, is also one of the four. Mm-hmm. And if someone has only 45 minutes to watch a Doctor Who episode, I'm likely to pull this one out and show it to them because it is so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it. I I hear from people all the time that they find it to be the 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 best written. Other people think it's the creepiest, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it very much shows what good, suspenseful Doctor Who can look like. You know, you hear yeah. stories of, you know, every everyone who grew up in, especially in the 60s to the 80s, you know, they talk about how they'd watch Doctor Who from behind the couch, <laughs> right. you know, because it could be yeah. so suspenseful and spooky, especially for a kid. And this really shows that at its best. What's interesting is this episode also was written really quickly because yes. there had been another episode that they were going to produce, but Russell T. Davies decided it was too similar to the Unicorn and the Wasp. And so he wrote this like on the fly. And sometimes, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And sometimes genius just, you know, drops out of the sky when you're under pressure really fast. Right. And that clearly happened in this case. And I am so glad he canceled that other thing because. Unicorn and the Wasp is not my favorite episode, and if, <laughs> if 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 it was something similar to that, and and we got Midnight in exchange, I will totally take that bargain. Well, it, apparently it was going to be something called Century House, and it was going to be about the Doctor being on a ghost hunting reality show, which could be amusing, but maybe wouldn't be. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. If you want to ha- have an experience of something like that, you might uh, check out the uh, Big Finish audio production with the with uh, Peter Davison's fifth Doctor, Ghost Walk. Okay, excellent. Mm. Uh, one thing that Davies did say was that he was kind of inspired by the the Star Trek to the Next Generation episode, Darmok, you know, the famous Darmok and Gelada oh, sure. Tanagra. Yeah. But 
only in the concept. He actually admits he'd never seen the episode, but he'd read a synopsis. Oh. And the idea hmm. of a hero, an alien, and words being important uh, mm-hmm. was was really at the genesis of this of this episode, which I kind of find that interesting. It's one of the few Doctor Who episodes where we never actually see the antagonist. Um, it's right, yeah. only realized through a- the actors or the sound editors. Right. Just like Listen from the 12th Doctor. It's unique in uh, that it's a Donna Light episode. This yes. was a new concept for the show. Uh, we'd had some episodes that were Doctor and Companion Light, like Blink, meaning they're not in most of the episode. Right. And this is the kind of the first one where the comp- the Doctor has a companion, but we don't see the companion very much. Donna is only in a scene at the beginning and a scene at the end. Yep. The reason for that was uh, scheduling. She was filming simultaneously next, uh, the next episode, Turn Left, right. which is a Doctor Light episode. Right. Right, right. And that one required a lot of work from, from the Catherine Tate uh, in that one. Uh, it, it, the other interesting thing, uh, part of this is we don't see the TARDIS at all in this episode. This is no. the, f- and the first time in Doctor Who that's happened since Genesis of the Daleks in 1975. Yeah. Which is a very wow. long span of time. Uh, so we have TARDIS separation, companion separation. The, it's just the Doctor with his wits and a little bit of the sonic screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. Which which we, you have to have, I guess. <laughs> so we're on the planet Midnight, which is a diamond planet orbiting an extonic star. Uh, the star emits extonic radiation, which is not a real thing. It's described by one of the characters as being raw galvanic radiation. and Galvanic radiation presumably would be either radiation that produces an electric current or radiation that uh, decomposes and corrodes. And it may seem to be more of the latter because we're told that if you're exposed to the extonic radiation, you will be turned into dust. Yeah. And so you can't go on the surface of the planet midnight. You have to be specially shielded either by metal or really thick glass or special glass like finito glass. Right. You know, the interesting <laughs> part of that is the, the incongruity it sets up, this limitation. For one thing, it sets a, a dramatic limitation on the story. You can't go outside. Right. You can't even look outside. So that creates this interesting dramatic limitation. But also the, this incongruity of a leisure planet that is deadly to be on and even look at. You know, yeah. it's like that people go on vacation to this extremely dangerous place. It's just kind of that this weird, you know, it sort of hits at human nature of being weird like yeah. that. But uh, I the, thought that was interesting. The, the, yeah, the Leisure Palace Corporation has built a Leisure Palace on midnight. It's like a little bit like building a Leisure Palace, you know, casino resort in the middle of a fallout zone. <laughs> right, right, Chernobyl. You know, it's like Chernobyl, <laughs> yeah. the Chernobyl Resort and Spa. <laughs> oh, Somebody probably has that idea. That's the sad part. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. Uh, well, so, I mean, they talked about even like when they built the Leisure Palace, they basically just lowered it from orbit. Right. They never even actually, you know, set foot on the planet until the thing was in place. Right. Uh, what, what you do have, though, is it is a really beautiful planet, even if you have mm-hmm. to look at it through 15 foot thick glass. And and the, we they say, you know, at several points in the beginning of this. That it is because of the extonic radiation, because it's a diamond planet, nothing can live there. There's no life on this planet at all, anywhere, uh, which sets us up for it later on. But uh, exactly. So the doctor's trying to convince Donna to go with him on this eight-hour 
bus cruise to a sapphire waterfall. Uh, but she's she's not interested. So he ends up going alone. Yeah. Me- meaning a waterfall made out of sapphires. Yes. Yeah, it, which is like a hundred thousand foot drop, he says, or something like that. Which, of course, everything has to be like these extremes. Uh, so the, uh, the he get he boards this this bus, which is a sort of a. Oh, I like I like though he plans with Donna at the beginning since she won't go with him. She wants to just relax by the pool. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He says, "Okay, well then, when I get back, we'll go to the anti gravity restaurant with bibs." <laughs> with bibs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so the. The passengers and the attendant, the, the, the you don't want to say the flight hostess. attendant, the hostess, the hostess. Um, they're all interesting characters in their own right. Uh, yeah. They all are f- sort of fleshed out, which they need to be for this premise. There's a professor and his assistant, a mysterious sort of snooty lady, uh, a middle class family with their rebellious emo teen. Uh, by the way, we should mention the professor, the casting, is very yeah. significant. Uh, yep. Played by David Troughton, which, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he is the son of Patrick Troughton, the second doctor. Correct. Yep. Kind of interesting, in this season, we had the doctor's daughter and then the doctor's son. (laughs) Exactly. Because, of course, Jenny was played by the fifth doctor's daughter. Right. And he wasn't even supposed to be in this at first. He was a last-minute replacement for the the actor who was intended to get the role who had been injured before filming, So, uh, which is interesting. You know, it was, it was, it was interesting because he doesn't, at least into my eyes, he doesn't look a lot like Patrick Troughton. I could but see he's got resemblance. a lot of the same vocal and yeah. facial expressions that Patrick mm-hmm. Troughton does. Yeah. Also, one of the reasons he doesn't look like Patrick Troughton is, as much as you might think, is because he's not wearing a beetle wig. <laughs> he doesn't True. have the mop top. He's bald. As an old man, and but if you look at his like lower facial structure, you'll see it more. Yeah, the mm. nose and the jaw really. It, I could see. I could see the connection there. But just every once in a while in the voice, you could kind of hear Patrick Troughton. Oh, definitely. And definitely mm-hmm. in some of the facial expressions, you could see it. So, like right off the bat, uh, they, as they start there, it's going to be four hour drive out there. It's going to take four hours to drive there. So, the, of course, they the 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 cruise, the hostess, the tour That's what operator. They call her. Right, but the uh, sorry, the tour oh. operating company has to provide entertainment, and so they have this obnoxious entertainment system that like yeah. starts playing music and showing a movie and all this stuff at once. And the doctor's like, "Ah, uh, no," and he shuts it off surreptitiously with his sonic, and then suggests that they all talk to each other instead. Uh, Which <laughs> is a much better solution. It's yes. yeah, it's it's playing some kind of weird, abstract, futuristic art piece light show all over everything at the same time as showing 20th century music videos and a Betty Boop cartoon, which happens to be Betty Boop and Grampy. <laughs> well, and the uh, the music video I saw that is, uh, it was from the Eurovision contest from the late 70s. It was really Yeah, weird. it's an Italian singer. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it was commentary on the fact that you get on an, any airplane now, except for, you know, older ones or something like that, and they all have the TV screens in the back of the... Yes seats and, yeah, yeah but it, they don't everyone's tv doesn't play with loud volume all at the same time <laughs> right. overlapping each other <laughs> right I, the, the, I, I also like the in preparing for all of this the um the hostess is going down the aisle offering everybody complimentary juice pack complimentary headphones complimentary earplugs complimentary slippers and complimentary peanuts warning some products may contain nuts yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as she's going by the doctor's talking about how um how anxious he is to go and he says allons-y and she looks at him like what and he's oh that's french for let's go 
fascinating. <laughs> yes. and, yeah, uh, she's. Uh, but that will set that sets us up for something crucial later on. The fact that he right. says Alonzi to her. Yes. Uh, so we get these these little um, interludes where it's you know, will tell us a hundred kilometers into the journey, and then we have the middle class couple talking to the doctor, telling you know silly middle class couple stories to him. Uh, about then, about an abstract pool that they thought was a real pool and right which it's kind of a conveying the idea like you know here are these like normal people who don't get like high concept they're they're just sort of average intelligence or average taste that sort of thing i'm not saying it's in, intended to be a slight against middle class but what we're trying to what, no, I, I think what, I, th- I thought they were very sympathetic characters i yeah. liked them yeah it's just that um they're they're regular people we're, that's what we're trying to get is the idea that they're just regular, well, average, even, everyday. The people next door. Yeah, I yeah, mean, they, even the dress. Like he, he's wearing a polo shirt, basic twentieth, right. twenty first century polo shirt. I mean, about as basic as you can get. Right. And their their emo son has the emo hair and the black shirt, black t shirt, and black nail polish, and is like, okay, this kid is straight out of the early twenty, the early two thousands. That's yeah. right. The uh, by the way, the kid who plays the son uh, will later on. Uh, be in the lead in the BBC series Merlin. Uh, yes, the same no. actor. Yeah, he played Merlin. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, then we get uh, we switch to 150 kilometers in, and then the professor Hobbs's assistant Dee Dee is telling the doctor about how she came to work for the professor based on a paper she wrote on the lost moon of Poosh, uh, huh, another which is missing planet, another part yeah. of the missing planet story arc, which is going to uh, reach its zenith soon. Uh, then we 209 kilometers in, um, the snooty lady, we find out her name is Sky, and she begins to tell the doctor- Sky Silvestri. Sky Silvestri. She begins to tell the doctor how she's recently divorced, and um, that's why she's sort of uh, standoffish. Standoffish. Yeah. And then we get 251 kilometers in, and Professor Hobbs is telling everyone, and us, by the way, uh, about the unique properties of the planet. And he says, there's never been anything living on the entire planet. And then the bus suddenly stops. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I, I like how he's got Dee Dee doing a slideshow with a slide projector. Yes. And yeah. there's this neat thing. This often happens in Doctor Who, and not just on screen, but in Big Finish, too, where even though it's the future and we have all this high technology, the environment is kind of retro futuristic yeah. where we have this blend of very recognizable things um from our time even though it's in a future contact like biff kane's polo shirt or yep. jethro kane's emo outfit and the 20th century slide projector we don't even use those anymore yeah. <laughs> right. you know we do powerpoint now or keynote the entire set was very retro because it looks like your basic airplane passenger jet that you're gonna you know everybody gets on every day i mean the seats are the same the fold down screens are like the old style screens and everything it just i mean the cargo or you know the baggage ports up top it looked like a basic modern day aircraft i think it's intentional because it's designed the whole thing is designed to put us in the shoes of the people who are in this environment who are in this situation Uh, because i think the, what the intent of the art of the script is is to say this is what can happen to people under stress or in these particular yeah. circumstances. We could talk more about about whether we believe that or not uh, as we get into the, the the specific drama of the episode. But I I think that's that's intentional. This idea it's not just 
we have a low budget and we're trying to save money. I think there's an intentional. I, I think it's both. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes. I think uh, I think it's both. It is cheaper and it'll make the audience feel at home. Mm-hmm. And it would have a completely different vibe if this was like trying to look futuristic, like Nerva Station or right. something mm-hmm. like that. Right. So the as I said, the bus, you know, as the as the professor says that there's never been anything living on the planet. The bus suddenly stops, and there's no explanation. And the doctor goes into the cockpit of the bus and and talks to the driver and driver and con- Joe, driver Joe, and convinces him to you know open the window and look out at the surface because you know, everything because even with the windows they still get radiation through it. So they open it up because we'll be safe for a little bit. Yeah, and uh, it's. He tells him it's a completely unexplored route. There had been a, a a diamond fall in the usual route, so the computer automatically routed them through a completely new place. So it's a completely new place that no one's ever seen, no one's ever been. And then the mechanic, which I don't remember his name, mechanic Claude, mechanic he's a mechanic Claude. trainee. Okay. Yep. As the as the uh, filter is closing, he he says something. I saw something move out there, and like it's impossible. Nothing can be moving. No, no, there's something out there, and. Uh, yeah. Says it looked like a shadow running toward the bus. Right, right. Also, the bus stopping is very mysterious because all the systems are functioning properly. Right, right. But they're just not moving, and so they have a rescue bus coming to get them. But it's going to it's going to take an hour to get there. Yeah, an hour to get there. So they go into the back, and uh, the the pa- the passengers are already starting to panic a little bit because it's like you know something has gone wrong on you know, and we're stuck out on this deadly planet, and the the. The doctor is trying to calm them down. He guarantees everything is fine. I guarantee everything is fine. And something bangs on the hull. Like, every yeah. time yeah. someone makes a definitive statement, the exact opposite thing happens. Yeah, and the banging on the hull works its way around. And it's, it happens in stages. So this is a slow build. Mm-hmm. But as people initially, they're thinking, they're trying to think, what could it be that's natural? Like, maybe it's a diamond fall right. or something. In like, fact, Hobbes and, is in complete denial for much of this episode, Professor Hobbes, of that there could possibly be anything out there. And that's right, his right. explanation, is something falls on the hull. But the the banging responds when, like, Biff taps on the door three times, you get three bangs back. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's clearly intelligent and and it works its way around one wall of the bus to the other wall and Skye is becoming panicking and shrieking, it's coming for me. Right. She thinks it's somehow her ex sent someone to get her and she's freaking out. She's convinced it's it's coming for her. And, and, you know, the interesting thing here is, is is what we've got is the fear of being in a locked room with something impossible outside trying to get in. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of how yeah. scary that is. And I, you can't leave the room. You can't leave, right. and something's trying to get in, and it's impossible that something could be out there. Like, this is a perfect storm of of scary. Just kind of like yeah. Blink was. I, I, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a scene in a movie I saw. It was a black-and-white 1960s horror movie. I think it may have been The Haunting. I'm not sure of the exact name of the film, but there's this scene where you have these two women in a room in bed, and they're there because one of them's coming to the other's room because she's scared, and it's late at night, and you hear this weird sound in the hallway that's like knocking and it, but it's, some, it's not just knocking, it's something else, and it's getting closer and closer. And as it comes toward them, they have this wood paneled door, you know, with like the square segments. 
Mm-hmm. And as they're sitting in bed and you're hearing this bizarre sound that you have almost no frame of reference for, except it's got some knocking in there, the door bulges inward and, you know, <laughs> it's like suddenly rubbery and it's yeah. like the scariest thing because right. you have no idea what this is. You have no frame of reference for this. I think that's what makes like something especially scary is when you just it, there's no explanation that fits. Yeah. Uh Mm-hmm. I, I have in my notes at this point that this the the pacing and the dramatic build is yeah. really good, and it's really hard to explain orally why it's so good. You just kind of have to experience it. It's somewhat relentless. It's not like it's um, a constant patter, but it just mm-hmm. you you you're pulled along with it. There's no no stopping it, and things just keep building. And what you experience a little bit is, as and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but what you experience a little bit is the doctor's panic that things are getting out of control, that he can't manage to put a lid on the panic, the the fear. He doesn't even understand what's going on. He's trying right. to figure all this out, and things are escalating and getting stranger and stranger and, and you know harder and harder to understand. And he's sitting there going, I don't have a clue what's going on. Right. Speaking of things the doctor doesn't have a clue about, at one moment when he's turned around and facing all of the people, on the screen behind him, Rose Tyler appears yep. silently yelling, Doctor. Right. So yeah, after the bus is rocked uh, really badly, and part of the wall is stove in even a little bit, um, he's trying to calm people down, and the entertainment system starts up, yeah, even though he's turned it off. And yeah, we see Rose on the screen trying to mm-hmm. get his... You could see, you could see her lips moving. She's saying... Doctor, doctor, but we don't have any sound from her. Because he sonicked it off. (laughs) That's right. Uh, (laughs) So it turns out that when the bus was rocked violently, the cabin with Driver Joe and uh, Mechanic Claude uh, was ripped off the bus. And we find this out when the hostess opens the door and it's gone. And extonic light shines in. So she shuts the door really fast. Yeah, Yeah. we, we get the explanation that there's a some sort of shield or something uh, uh, that holds in the atmosphere for like what six, six seconds exactly, exactly six seconds yes yep. so meanwhile sky is like crouched in the fetal position where she was left and she begins repeating ev- everything everyone says and then mm-hmm. not just repeating I, I, it I, I, before that even though people notice the seats have been ripped up the walls dented and sky is sitting with her back to them kind of hunched over not right. moving or talking and so the doctor's like coaxing her to turn around. And when she finally does, you're thinking, is she going to have a monster face or something? Right. You know, because that would be the typical thing. Mm-hmm. But she slowly turns around and she's got a normal face. But her performance is creepy because she has these odd head jerks when she's looking at mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And it's clear she's not behaving in a normal, relaxed human fashion. And she starts mimicking the doctor's head movements as he tilts his head one way, she tilts her head the other way. And so she then starts mimicking the doctor's words and other people's words and just repeating everything anybody says all over again. And it's like the creepy kids game or the annoying kids game, you know, where kids will repeat. And it's another example of Doctor Who taking something normal and making it scary. But needless to say, the people get annoyed that she's just repeating all this stuff. I want to say, though, that that Leslie Sharp, who played Sky Silvestri, mm-hmm. was absolutely amazing in this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. from this point on, she was just 
absolutely incredible. Again, like what you said with the with the the movement and the repeating. And of course, as she's repeating, she's repeating a little bit faster and a little bit faster, and then she's repeating as they're finishing the sentence. And yeah, yeah. Really well, what's builds. amazing is she's repeating multiple people as they're t- as other people are talking. So she's hearing them talk and repeating after them, like sort of almost impossibly. Like there's a mm-hmm. conversation going on that she's perfectly absorbing and, and repeating. And she looks right at him, just stares right. right at him as she's repeating them. It's not just like there's a pause. She's saying the thing that they've just said, even as they're saying new things perfectly. And then eventually, like you said, she starts doing it at the same time that that they're saying it. So you hear two voices speaking the same thing at once. Right. And then she begins eventually saying it before. And we'll well, get well first she right. fixates on the doctor only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she so, starts doing that. Right. So stage one is the mimicking with her head. Stage two is repeating after other people, just slightly delayed. And to test her as she's doing that, the doctor says the square root of pi is, and then he gives it to like 30 decimal places or something. And he's rattling it off incredibly fast. And she's just keeping up with him, just like phase shifted Mm. by two seconds. Um, And everyone else starts trying it too. And Jethro, the emo kid, says 666. As an yes. emo kid would. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And so she then starts syncing with the others, and the doctor says, I think the more we talk, the more she learns. So the doctor's trying to keep everybody from talking, but it totally doesn't work. Yeah. And we have lots of little creepy things inserted, like Dee Dee, the professor's assistant, at one point says, we must not look at goblin men, just out of the blue. She's mm-hmm. quoting. She's quoting from a poem called Goblin Market by the Christina Rossetti. British poet Christina Rossetti yeah. from the 1800s. Yeah. Mm. And at one point, the doctor says, because the doctor has figured out this is a threat, and he's thinking she may be assuming our identities or something as part of this process. And he says, I don't want her becoming me or things could get a whole lot worse. Right. At which point Val says, oh, you're so special. The doctor says, as it happens, yes, I am. <laughs> There's a little so, David Tennant, Tenth Doctor ego there. Right. I, I don't want to skip past the Goblin Market uh, reference too quickly uh-huh. because it's very okay. interesting. It's a poem about goblins who tempt a maiden with choice fruits. And when she eats it, she becomes addicted and they don't return with more. And so she begins to waste away pining for it. But what it's really about is a, her sister ends up saving her. It's a story of not abandoning someone who everyone thinks is irredeemably lost, which mm. is really the, the, the point of the story of Midnight, is the doctor's trying to not get them to abandon someone, Sky, who they all think is irredeemably lost. Which gets us to, up to the point in the story where the hostess, who yes. is determined to protect this bus no matter what, wants to throw her out. She's the yep. first one to suggest killing Sky. And then the couple jump in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, th- they suggest it. And then Dee Dee joins in. I like how the, the doctor initially says, no one is killing anyone. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then he starts asking people, could you really do this? And he kind of challenges Biff's manhood. And Biff is like, yeah, I could. And then it turns out everybody wants to kill Sky except Jethro. Right. Yep. Uh, at this point, anyway. And then the hostess keeps ramping things up. You know, she's the one who keeps winding up the tension she's trying to save everybody but she's she instead of calming people down she's winding up the tension she turns the suspicion against the doctor 
because mm-hmm. he he wasn't booked in. He just showed up out of nowhere. Right. And what's your real name? Why don't you tell us? Just tell us your real name. And why are you so interested? And you know, you seem to know a lot. And why is she fixated on you? And at one point, Val Biff's wife asks if he's an immigrant. If the Darks is an immigrant, and I'm like, an immigrant oh, I to what? That. Yeah, I think on midnight everyone's an immigrant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, so very interesting. And then I, I also like at one point the doctor admits he's clever, and Val says, "You've been looking down on us since the moment you walked in." Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's an element of truth in that. He has. Yes. I, I like that. Yeah, because he he you know he blurts out because I'm clever, and everybody pauses. Like, really? <laughs> they're they're more stunned that he actually said this. Like, so you think you're better than us? Is that what you're saying? We're right. stupid, but you're you're clever. It, it uh, there is a point where like um you know Jethro gets mad because he doesn't get a vote on whether to kill Sky, and he's like, there isn't a vote. It's not happening ever. If you try to throw out that door, you'll have to get past me first. And it's like, well, <laughs> once again, <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> so now Biff wants to throw the doctor out, right? Yeah. Oh, and he finally comes up after delaying over what's your real name. He says John Smith. But he's delayed so long, they don't believe him at that point. Right. They recognize it's a fake name. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, st- and then Sky stops copying everyone but the Doctor, which New ramps, yeah, which ramps up the animosity of the others against him. And then she starts speaking before the Doctor says, stealing his his words, his voice, and makes it seem like the Doctor is the new host for whatever alien entity was in mm-hmm. Sky. Uh, right. So she Sky starts to say, oh, I feel like I'm being let go. And she's now acting normalish. She's much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that makes it even creepier for us because we know that the thing is still in her. But she's convincing the others that the thing has transferred to the doctor and he's the threat now. And she's actually in control because now the doctor is forced to repeat whatever she says. Mm-hmm. And he can't move either. He's sort of uh, immobilized. Right. Uh, and Dee Dee, at first, is the only one who sees what really happened between Sky and the Doctor. That no, she just took his voice, not his, uh, you know, not his. You transferred to his brain, and then it's the hostess who joins Dee Dee in agreeing with her. Meanwhile, Val and Biff start claiming to see what never happened. They they start claiming yeah. to see that the thing passed from the Sky to the Doctor, and then claiming that everyone else saw it, which is again interesting human psychology. Yeah, we begin yeah. to impose our own wh- what we want to have seen onto our memories, and mm-hmm. our memories become false. Uh, also, you can really see the doctor is fighting this, but he he's p- ultimately powerless. He's re- trying to resist, but he can't stop himself from saying what she's saying, and he can't move. And so Sky is saying it's inside his head. It killed the driver and the mechanic, and now it wants us. So Biff decides to throw the doctor out mm-hmm. and you got you get this really creepy thing where as Sky is saying things to urge the people on to throw the doctor out and apparently that's what she needs for the final stage of taking over the doctor's voice she needs the doctor to die right, right. so she wants the doctor out and that'll break the connection between them and she can go on and live her life in Sky's body is the apparent end game and so you have her urging people on, but as she's urging them on, you have David Tennant saying, yes, throw him out, get mm-hmm. rid of him now. 
as they're trying and they're manhandling him down the bus aisle and his like sneaker catches on a on a or trainer catches on a seat <laughs> and and blocks them for a moment but it's just so creepy to have david tennant urging his own death right and you you have a sky saying that's how he does it he makes you fight he creeps into your head and whispers listen just listen that's him inside your throat your inside your head and it's a in fact, she's telling them exactly what she's doing by yeah, by yep. doing this. She is doing what it, what it is she's saying. She's even ranting about the cold outside and the loneliness and the midnight sky and yep. everything. It's like she's talking from the creature's point of view. And then she, as she's urging people on, throw them out now, she says, Alonzi. Yeah, molto bene, Alonzi. And at that moment, the hostess realizes Sky has taken the doctor's voice because mm-hmm. he's the one that says Alon Z. Right. Yep. And then that's the moment where the hostess pivots and decides, I've got to take action here to keep everybody safe. And she slams on the airlock seal and grabs Sky. And the two of them stand there against the extonic light as the hostess counts to six waiting for the force yep. field to drop, and then they're both blown out into the extonic light and reduced to dust. Yep. Right, and uh, they're all act ashamed, you know, suddenly, after what they've witnessed, the hostess doing what she had said she did in the first place, which was to, to throw Sky outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, Val says in the, in the quiet afterward, I said it was her. And I'm like, yeah. she yeah. needs to be slapped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, everyone had, had just tried to kill the doctor. Right. But mm-hmm. the hostess and Dee Dee at this moment. And Hobbs, Professor Hobbs, was uh, like, he just, he turns on Dee Dee when she's objecting. You know, I think you should be quiet. That's an order. You're making a fool of yourself pretending you're an expert in mechanics and hydraulics. When yeah. I can tell you, you're nothing more than average at best. Now shut up. And I'm like. Wow, hard. And she's professor. the one. She's yeah. the one who understood everything that was going on far better than anyone else in that place, other right. than the doctor himself. Right, and he was the one who was who was dead wrong from the beginning about no mm-hmm. life being at all possible on this planet. We then switch to you know twenty minutes later, the rescue bus shows up, and the doctor says the, the hostess. What was her name? And they're just like, I don't know. So the yeah. na- names are very important in this episode. Apparently, mm-hmm. you know that having a name, not having a name. And uh, so then back at the spa, I love the there's really poignant irony in the fact that the hostess, who was determined to keep everyone safe, Mm -hmm. sacrificed herself to save these people and Mm -hmm. nobody even learned her name. Right. You know, there's just something really poignant there. You know, it's I don't want to go too far with these, but it says something about like flight attendants in general. When you think about Mm -hmm. it, they 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 take up a lot of abuse on airplanes. They have to deal with people. Sometimes in their worst moments, you know, they're, they're, they're stressful flying moments, flying is stressful for everyone. They have to deal with stupid requests and have to repeat the same boring, you know, safety announcements that no one's <laughs> listening to over and over again. And yet when it comes down to it, when there's a time for, you know, rescue, the plane's crashing or something like that, they roll into action. And, you know, they're, they're often unsung yeah. heroes. In these circumstances, that's their real job. Their yep. real job is not serving drinks and peanuts. Right. Their real job is safety. Exactly. That's yeah. why they're there. Right. And that's that's why they have the authority of the captain whenever there is an emergency where it's we tell you what to do and you do it. Right. Right. Exactly. So uh, kudos to the flight attendants of the world out there. So the doctor's back to the spa with Donna and uh, and uh, 
they have this moment where it's like, you know, he admits, I have no idea what that was. And she says she can't imagine the doctor without a voice. She's you know, kind of trying to lighten the mood a little bit. And he says, molto bene. And she repeats him. And he goes, no, 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 don't do not do that. Don't, don't copy. Don't. But don't repeat what I say. Not now. So, yeah. And then and that's where the uh, the episode ends. Yeah. Also, they say that uh, he's going to tell the authorities about what happened. I think they know at this point. Um, but <laughs> right. the Leisure Palace is going to have to build a spa somewhere else. They're going to evacuate it off midnight. Right, right. There's obviously something there. Like, it was a bad idea to begin with, but, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, did any, other, um, any other notes on this episode from either nope. of you? Nothing here. I thought it was interesting. The bus line's name was Crusader Tours. Yes. and that's a little un PC these days, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe over in England, it's a. I don't know what what they would think of that today, but I thought it was interesting they named it that. I liked the fact this is the inverse of the typical Star Trek paint by numbers empathy reconciliation plot, where it's like, oh, if we can only just get together and understand each other's perspectives, everything will be fine, right? And the doctor even goes down that path at, with with Sky and with the entity saying, whatever you need, you don't have to take it from somebody. If you need a body or you need a voice or you need knowledge, I'll help you find it. That's a promise. And so he tries the empathy reconciliation plot and it blows up in his face. Right. And I love that. This is just no, there is no negotiating with this thing. It is just evil. I also like the fact the doctor including this incarnation of the doctor is a really good talker who does talk his way out of situations, but that's what gets him into the problem here. Right. Because the more he talks, the more power the entity gets. Also, you have the doctor naturally try to take charge of situations just based on his natural leadership, and that blows up in his face here. And the people start suspecting him. And so I love how it subverts these standard tropes I also it also subverts the nature of the villain because normally we've got a monster in a rubber suit and here the antagonist has no form it has no name it is almost pure unknown and I I love that and the midnight entity is one of my favorite villains in the whole show and it must never come back right because there is no way for them to top this episode and to bring it back would only cheapen it yeah i think i've seen uh surveys of fans you know of your favorite uh doctor who villains and the midnight alien is right up there with you know among you know the daleks and the cybermen all that precisely because of that reason it's just unknown and that was that was that was the problem they had with with blink was they wanted to bring back the weeping angels and every time they bring them back they're just less yeah. of an right. less of a, a horror than they were in that episode until we have the I, the statue of liberty weeping angel which kind of was the exactly. low point <laughs> yeah I, I i think i could give them the crash of the byzantium yes i think they so, had new stuff to do with the weeping angels there but after that it started the concept started to wear right then right. Speaking of the name of the bus tour, Crusader Bus Lines, or Crusader Tours, uh, the bus itself was called Crusader 50, and they were going to make a bigger deal out of that because originally this episode was going to be the 50th episode of the of New Who, uh, mm. but then they shuffled the order and it ended up not being the 50th episode was Silence in the Library. 
but I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. All right. So we do have a little bit of feedback on our first bit of feedback. Actually, all of it is on the Silence in the Library episode, uh, number 144. Um, Scott Shields in an email, Timmy LML on YouTube, some people on Facebook, some people on Twitter. Everyone has told us by now that the quote about books being the best weapons in the world is actually a real quote from Doctor Who. It was from the episode Tooth and Claw. Uh, which was a couple of seasons uh, previous, uh, previously. That was the one set with Queen Victoria in Scotland. With oh, Rose that's right. Tyler. That's right. They're in that uh, observatory, and the doctor comments yeah. about that. So, but in my defense, the the meme that I saw identified it as being from Science in the Library, not Tooth and Claw. So that's that's where I was the confusion entered. So, and then uh, Andrew sends an email. He says, uh, "Firstly, I fully agree that Silence, Force of the Dead, and Midnight." is a great jumping-on point for someone new to Doctor Who. I could extend that to Series 4 as a whole, this whole season. This has Mm -hmm. been my favorite series of the new incarnation of Who. I guess it's almost equaled now by Series 9. I thought I would share a few points about the filming location of the library, from Science in the Library. It was indeed Swansea Library, which at the time of filming had relocated to the coast, and the old library was under refurbishment. It's now owned by a local college. And uh, he sent us the, there's a Wikipedia entry to, for Old Swansea Central Library, which you could check out uh, and, and see the, uh, interesting uh, maybe some pictures online of that. Which one was Series 9? I don't remember. Uh, I didn't look it up beforehand, but that has got to be, that's the 12th Doctor, certainly. Yeah, it's 12th Doctor. Uh, in fact, his last uh, season, I think. Okay. No, it's not. It's his, it's the middle one. The one with Clara. The last one with Clara. Right. All right. So that's it from us. Before I finish up, I do want to make sure that we thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including this time Pat D, Laura M, John, Maximilian S. I love the, the name Maximilian. Melanie would never would never let me go and name one of our kids Maximilian, but I love that name. And Austin K, their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. I mean, doesn't Max Bettinelli sound great? That's a great name. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Max Bet? That's a, Max Bet. that's a born gambler there. That's right. Exactly. That would be a great blog or podcast. So <laughs> that's it from us. What did you think of this 10th Doctor episode, Midnight? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or The Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. And leave us some feedback or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll have a very special episode. It's going to be a very special episode of Secrets of Doctor Who. Where we'll and be- not in the sense of an after-school drug special. Yeah, in a good <laughs> exactly. sense. We'll be ranking the 13 Doctors. Yes. Uh, or, is it, or is it more than 13? We'll let you know. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, taking a bus full of strangers across a diamond planet called Midnight, what could possibly go wrong? Right. This is going to be fun.